Thanks, Carrie. We worship in song, and we also worship in our giving. Um, and so, just want to invite you to. Uh, uh, we're going to take up the offering at this time. We don't physically pass around the plate, but if you give to this community, uh, there is a plate offering plate in the back of the sanctuary uh, on the windowsill. Otherwise, there are also online ways to give uh, through e-transfer at donations at nelsoncovenant.com. And if you are new or visiting, there is no obligation for you to give. Um, this is a practice of discipleship that we as a church community do. And... Um, we're going to transition into the message today, and uh, I got to be up front, <laughs> I wasn't supposed to be preaching uh, 20 hours ago, uh, but Jeff called, and he's feeling under the weather, and he's kind of lost his voice, and he said, he texted me yesterday, and I was like, Rick, I don't think I can preach tomorrow, and I was like, how about you record it and I'll lip sync to your message and we'll see if anyone catches on. Uh, he thought that was a great idea, but we came to our senses and figured out that wouldn't work too well. He said, even with that, he said, I'm, I couldn't get through two sentences. Um, so you got me today and I asked that you would be gracious with me. I didn't have a lot of time to prepare a message, but at the same time, I believe that God's word is active and living, and so we're going to dive into his word today and ask that he would speak to us this morning. It's in, uh, actually in Isaiah 55, 10 through 11, it says this, it says, The rain and snow come down from the heavens and stay on the ground to water the earth. They cause the grain to grow, producing seed for the farmer and bread for the hungry. And God says, it's the same for my word. I send it out and it always produces fruit. It will accomplish all I want to it, all I want it to, and, uh, and it will prosper everywhere I send it. So I'm leaning on that passage this morning. Let's pray together toward that end, uh, that God's word would produce fruit in our lives today. Dear God, we give you thanks for this day. We give you thanks for your word that is always active always living, always producing fruit. And we ask that you would uh, be with Pastor Jeff and give him rest and a speedy recovery. And Jesus, we ask that you would be with your church this morning. And by your spirit, would you give us ears to hear what you may have for us and grant us soft hearts so that we may respond to your call on our lives today. Amen. So, we have a problem in our marriage. <laughs> and I realize that's, that's a weird way to start off a message. You guys are like, <gasps> but the strange, the, the problem I'm talking about is I sometimes have a hard time listening when my wife is talking to me. Uh, I see some like half smiles on a lot of the guys. So I know I'm not the only one here. But I've actually perfected the art of giving all the right cues to make Karis, my wonderful wife, believe that I'm listening to her. Like, I'll be making eye contact with her. I'll be nodding in affirmation and making vague affirming sounds like, uh-huh, that's, that's great, honey. Or if I know that the tone is not very positive, I'm going to be like, oh, that sucks, honey. But over years of marriage, she's caught on to the fact that I'm not always listening uh, because sometimes my response is the wrong kind of response, or she's like, is that all you got to say? I'm like, 
I am so sorry, I wasn't listening. And she's caught on to that. And you know how sometimes you can play tricks. You can keep talking and then you throw in the most absurd sentence to really see if the other person is talking or to see if the other person is actually listening. It's like, yeah, and I and I went to the park today and then a spaceship from Mars came and monkeys came and took us away. And if my only response is like, that's great, honey. She knows I'm not listening, right? Uh, I'm hearing, but I'm not listening. And why do I do this? Um, guys, why do we do this? I need to work on this in my marriage. Uh, but listening well is something that I, th- I think actually a lot of us have difficulty with, not only with our significant other, but in listening to what God has to say to us, in listening to our relationship with Jesus as well. And I was reminded and convicted of this in my own life recently in a parable that Jesus told in the Gospels. So you'll notice with my lack of time of preparation, I don't have a PowerPoint for the message, but this is good. It's testing our listening skills, and that's what this parable is about today. And Jesus told a lot of parables, and parables, if you're not too familiar, they're essentially stories. They're stories that communicate deep truths about following Jesus, but they hold, uh, but told in a very simple, earthy way. And they use everyday examples that Jesus' audience would have been very familiar with. And so in first century Palestine, Jesus lived uh, in a farming society, in an agrarian society. And so a lot of his parables, they communicate truths about God's kingdom and the ways, uh, and the ways of God. But he uses farming examples to get there. And the parable that convicted me recently lo and behold, it's to listen better, uh, was the parable of the sower. Sometimes it's also called the parable of the four soils. And we find it in the Gospel of Matthew as well as in the Gospel of Luke. We're going to look at Matthew's version of it. Um, If you have your Bibles, it's in chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13, starting at verse 1. I'm going to go old school and read from a Bible this morning here, from a physical paper Bible. I love that. So let me read this parable for you from Matthew 13, starting in verse 1. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it, while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. He who has ears, let him hear." That's the convicting part for me. The disciples came to him and asked, why do you speak to the people in parables? They're saying, come on, Jesus, you're the Messiah. Be clear. Why are you talking in farming examples and parables that are sometimes hard to understand? And he replied, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more 
and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become callous. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, he's talking to the disciples now, because they see, and your ears because they hear. For I tell you the truth, many prophets and righteous men long to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. So this whole part about hearing and not understanding, or hearing but never understanding, seeing but never perceiving, it's this idea of in one ear, out the other. You hear it, but you're not really listening. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The one who received the seed that fell on the rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since he has no roots, he lasts only a short time. And when trouble or persecution comes because of the world, he quickly falls away. The one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. But the one who received seed that fell on good soil is the man who hears the word and understands it. He produces a crop yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Okay, let's, let's unpack this passage a little bit. To understand this parable, we need to first understand a few basics of how parables work, how they're set up, who they're directed to. Jesus' parables, they're generally directed at three groups of people, if you look through the Gospels. The Jewish leaders, the crowds of people, and his disciples. And they usually have some kind of an element of surprise. And they show us God's character um, as merciful, as generous, as gracious, but also as just. And parables always relate to the listener. And this is what makes them so powerful. They related to the listeners back then in first century Palestine, but they also contain the same truths for us today. So what purpose do parables have? Well, parables, I would, research that I've done, it kind of summarizes and says parables tend to have three purposes. Parables invite the listener or reader to participate in God's kingdom. So there's, a, there's always an invitation. Parables challenge the listener or the reader to interact with God's kingdom. And here's the one that might make us a little uncomfortable because we're, we're in a soft culture, right? easily offended. The third purpose of parables is it forces the listener to make a choice. You can't just hear it and not respond. Actually, by not responding, you're in the story somewhere and you've made a response. 
Parables are unique that way. They actually force the listener to make a choice, either positive or negative or neutral, but you, you have to make a choice. And that's the unique thing about parables. Okay, so with that in mind, let's look a little bit at this parable of the sower. To give you a little bit of context, Jesus and his disciples, they're, they're wandering around proclaiming the good news about God's kingdom. Jesus keeps saying over and over, the kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God is near. Jesus is going around, he's performing miracles, and he's teaching and preaching, and he had crowds of people following him. Some of these were Pharisees and teachers of the law. And in fact, it's neat how this parable is in this context. If you, if you go back two chapters, you'll kind of identify how the different groups of people respond to Jesus. So if you flip back one chapter to chapter 12, you'll, you'll see the Pharisees and the teachers of the law And their response to Jesus was they were skeptical of Jesus. And the bottom of the chapter actually says they were already plotting on how to kill him. So they didn't like Jesus. Others in the crowd, they were curious about Jesus. Some of them were big fans of Jesus. And, you know, and today they'd be Facebook friends or follow him on Instagram. They viewed him as kind of a circus act with all his miracles and wise sayings and proverbs. And others, they weren't sure what to think about Jesus, such as his own, I think it was his cousin, John the Baptist. Wasn't that his cousin? Second cousin? Cousin? I don't know. I'll stop playing the Mennonite game. But John the Baptist, um, he was actually not sure what to make of Jesus. If you go back two chapters in chapter 11, he sends a message to Jesus and he says, "Um, Jesus, are you... Are you really the Messiah we're waiting for? Because my expectations were that you would look and act and do ministry a little bit differently. Are you, are you really the one? And then there's still others who were already Jesus' disciples and they were learning and following him. So Jesus looks around and sees the Palestinian farming landscape around him. This is how parables work. You use everyday examples to make a point, to tell a story. And what he describes in the parable is, is actually true of first century farming in Palestine. I did a little bit of geeky historical geographical research on Palestine. But fields there are different than, than farming fields here. Um, fields there often had hard-trodden paths right through the middle of, of a random field. And fields also had uh, areas of soil that looked like it was good soil, but it was actually very shallow. And underneath, just a couple inches underneath, there was a hard big layer of limestone. So you'd plant a seed in what you think is good soil and it would sprout up quickly, but the roots can't really go anywhere. And so the hot Middle Eastern sun comes out and it gets scorched and they don't last long. And there's also a type of thorn uh, that grows in Palestine. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a type of weed um, that has big roots and it spreads and it competes with other plants that are trying to grow. And it, it quite literally suffocates other good seed from actually being able to grow to maturity. And then, like we have here, there is good, rich soil. Um, and I was wondering, Jesus has this interesting little bit about the harvest producing 30, 60, 100 times more of what the farmer expected. Uh, so a little bit more geeky research showed that actually some farmers in, in early Palestine were surprised 
by how much their crop produced. They weren't expecting as much as what they actually got. And so you can kind of place yourself in this farming scene that everyone listening to Jesus would have been quite familiar with. But Jesus is not actually giving farming lessons, right? He's giving people a picture of what God's kingdom looks like. A picture of God's kingdom at work in right now and what it wants to accomplish. And in this parable, God is the sower. And just like these farmers, God is very generous in spreading the good news of the gospel. Right? The good news of salvation. That's, that's the seed. And this good news of salvation, of new life in Christ, of participating in God's kingdom, it's meant for everyone. That's why he spreads it so generously. But not everyone's response is necessarily the greatest, right? Not everyone is hearing and listening. People's hearing and listening skills differ in this parable. And that's where I was convicted. And maybe it has something for you this morning too. The first type of soil was the seed that fell on the hard path. And this represents those who hear the message only to have the devil come and take it away from their hearts. There's real external dark forces trying to flush out the good news of Jesus. Here Jesus is pointing to the hard-hearted religious leaders. Remember, there's three types of people that Jesus generally speaks to in his parables. The religious leaders, the crowds, and his disciples. So he's pointing to the hard-hearted religious leaders who had spent all their life studying the letter of the law, but they had missed the spirit of the law. Self-righteous, judgmental, hard-hearted, They didn't receive Jesus' words. They assumed they knew what God's word was about. It was their job to keep every little rule and detail. They closed themselves off to Jesus, and therefore they actually opened themselves to external forces working to tear the gospel away from them. Sometimes the soil in our life, I think, can be like this hard path. For the Pharisees and teachers, it was this idea of self-righteousness, of thinking, I've got God's word figured out. I know what to do. If you can't keep up with me, you're not, you're not in. So for them, it was a problem of self-righteousness. Today, that might look like a religious person who comes to church every week, tries hard to be a moral person, but they're living like they're their own savior, right? Or it might be a person who had a bad experience with a Christian and now wants nothing to do with the gospel. And so they've hardened their hearts toward Christianity. Or maybe it's someone who hears the invitation of Jesus, but rejects it and clings to other forms of seeking their own salvation. Forms of salvation or righteousness that are not, not founded on Jesus. And so they close themselves off to the gospel and therefore open themselves to other ideological influence that pose as saviors, but are actually not. Maybe those other saviors seem to offer really good things like, like justice, like equality, 
like human flourishing. But the way in which these other false saviors achieve those end goals are ultimately not rooted in capital T truth. And therefore, they fall short of their ideal or they end up not delivering what they promise. And they also become just another way of self-righteous expression. The second type of soil, it's shallow and there's, there's underlying rock underneath, right? People hear this message and they receive it with joy, but since they don't have deep roots, they only believe for a little while and then fall away when the going gets tough. Um, these would be called fans of Jesus, but not disciples, right? It's the attitude of wanting all the blessings and benefits that Jesus offers, but without the cost of discipleship. I'll stick with Jesus, right? As long as life is going well, as long as things are happy and things are happening for me, but I'll be looking for something else if Jesus starts to ask too much of my life. Or if I experience hardships in my life, going gets tough, I'm going to go elsewhere. It's being a fan of Jesus, but not a follower. And then the third type of soil is the soil with thorns. They hear the message, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the cares and riches and pleasures that the world offers. And so the seed takes root And it starts to grow, but it never actually grows to maturity. It doesn't actually produce fruit. And these types of people, they're also fans of Jesus. The gospel is growing in their life, but the problem is there's other stuff also growing in their life that's competing with the gospel. That's hindering and impeding God's word from growing well and maturing. There's thorns and weeds competing for your allegiance and commitment. Um, This passage mentions things like anxiety or worries, preoccupation of accumulating wealth for yourself, fame. Um, Luke's version of this says, uh, mentions the pursuit of pleasure and entertainment. And other lists in the Bible, they mention greed, bitterness, unforgiveness, It's like a garden where you're trying to grow something good, but you never actually weed. And all these weeds and thorns are starting to crowd around your good plant. You got to pull those out. You got to make space for God's word to actually grow and take root and produce fruit. And so the result is that if if we want God's word to take root in our life, but we're not willing to weed out any of the junk, God's word can't produce a lot of fruit. It can't grow to maturity in us. And last, there are the people that are like good soil. They hear God's word and they cling to it and it produces a huge harvest of good fruit. And in fact, the parable says it produces way more than you would expect. And so these four soils, the way that parable works is We don't have an option to say, oh yeah, none of those soils describe me. No, Jesus is intentional about parables in that we all fall into one area of this, maybe multiple ones. Each of us falls into one of those categories, one of those soils. And I think if we took a good look at our lives, we'd probably realize that maybe we've been in all of those soils at different points in our life. I know I have. 
And so what I want to invite us to reflect on, and this, is, this was first a conviction for me, and I don't know where you're at, what soil you, you are at, but to ask that question, which soil are you like right now? And how can you tell if you're good soil? Well, this parable, although it's, it's complicated on one end, it's actually simple and earthy on the other hand. It's very applicable. How do you know if you're good soil? This parable gives us a very applicable way of telling. It simply asks, what kind of fruit do you see in your life? What kind of fruit do I see in mine? What is my life producing? What is yours? The way we we think about that is think about what are your goals? What kind of decisions are we making on a daily basis? How do we treat other people that we interact with? What is your life growing? That will tell you what kind of soil you're in. Galatians 5 um, gives us a list of the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit that the gospel wants to grow in us. So if you're wondering, well, what kind of fruit does that look like? Turn to Galatians 5, verse 22. It says this, But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Ooh, that one hit me hard. (laughs) Are you more... And so the question for me and, and hopefully for you is not do I have all of those fruits perfectly matured, ready to harvest, but are they starting to grow in your life? Are you more patient now than you were last year? Do others experience you as kind and gentle? Are you growing in your ability to love others, especially those in your life that are maybe a little difficult to love? Are you a person of peace or a worrier and anxious and concerned? This stuff is really practical, right? Is there joy growing in your life that are not dependent on circumstances? It's not the same as happiness. You can identify which kind of soil you are by looking at what your life is producing. And the good news is that if you're not in a place where you could honestly say, yeah, I'm in the good soil, I'm a good soil person right now, the good news is that Jesus doesn't leave you stuck there. Remember, his parables always have an invitation. They have a challenge, and then they force us to make a choice. He doesn't leave us stuck there. This parable is intended to invite us to turn to Jesus, to confess if we've been hard-hearted, if we're actually in a stage where our faith is shallow and we wander away very quickly as soon as temptations and troubles and hard times come, to confess if we get easily distracted and we say, Jesus, I want to follow you, but I also really want to pursue these things that aren't quite in line with your kingdom, but I kind of want to have a foot here and a foot here, and and we'll see how it goes. We can ask Jesus to help us be good soil people. And that's what I love about the parables. They invite us 
They challenge us, and then they force us to respond. But they don't force us to respond in the way that God wants us to respond. They simply force us to respond. Jesus is a gentleman, and he says, here are the ways that you can respond. I'm not going to force you either way, but your choice is actually going to fall into one of these categories. And so it's up to you and it's up to me how we respond. And so as we get ready, uh, we're actually going to take communion. You should have little cups on your seats. Um, if you are gluten-free, um, by the sound booth, uh, by, the, by the table, there's some gluten-free crackers. Um, so you could grab a cracker and still drink the juice if you want. But as we get ready to take communion, I'd like to take some time um, for each of us to evaluate your own life. Um, confess your sin and surrender, for us to surrender our hard-heartedness, um, for us to surrender lies and invite Jesus' truth, for us to confess if there's areas in our, of our faith that are actually shallow and are not growing deep roots, and to confess if there are distractions that are actually competing with our discipleship to follow Jesus. So let's pray together. I'll, I'll pray and I just invite you to reflect and confess in your own life where you're at. What soil is in your life? What fruit are you producing? And let's lay that before Jesus and ask him to help us be good soil where his spirit can bring about these good fruits. Let's pray together. God, we're grateful for the way in which these parables invite us to join your way, the way of Jesus. And we're thankful for the way that you challenge us to evaluate our own lives and to respond to your call. God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, in word, in deed. We've sinned by what we have done and by what we have left undone. Jesus, we are sorry for the ways that we harden our hearts towards you. We're sorry for the ways that we so easily stop following you and sorry for the ways that we allow other voices and other junk to crowd out your voice and your place in our lives. God, would you forgive us for the ways that we haven't loved you or loved our neighbor? And we ask that you would transform the soil in our life by the renewing of our minds. Help us, Jesus, to be good soil where your word can take root and grow in us and produce much fruit. We pray this in your name, Jesus, with thanksgiving. Amen. So we're going to move into communion uh, with that time of preparation. And scripture teaches us that if we confess our sins, that God is faithful and just to forgive all sins, no matter how big or small they are, and all unrighteousness. So would we be strengthened by the Spirit to be good soil, 